0: This is episode 361 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life, so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are, Getting Home Long Distance in the Event of an EMP or Solar Flare Part 1, and 10 Advantages of Using Cast Iron Cookware When SHTF. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary. Of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey guys, this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. If you're looking for multiple streams of income to boost your emergency fund, to save some money, and also to increase your preparedness, then this might be the way to go. For more information, click on the link in the show notes or come over to Hey, If you're listening to this podcast in the morning or Thursday morning, July 19th, well, I just want to let you know that this evening we are going to have on Facebook Live a, a special interview with Mick Rowland. He is an author and blogger over at Mick-Roland.com and he's going to be talking about or we're going to be talking about the power of community and so uh, you know looking forward to that uh, and so that will be at 8 p.m central standard time and that's going to take place on the Prepper website Facebook page and so uh, you don't have to be a member of that that's not the group that's just the page but you can go over and like it and that way you will be informed when we do go live And so, uh, again, like I said, I look forward to having you over there on the Prepper website, Facebook page at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time for this special interview. All right, our first article comes to us from survivalblog.com. Again, the title is Getting Home Long Distance in the Event of an EMP and Solar Flare. And, you know, all the time we talk about EMP, Solar Flare, I I know that those articles are are always going to be a little bit more popular on Prepper website because, you know, people want to know about that. That's the one that, you know, if that happened, yeah, things are going to go really, really bad. Well, at least uh, we believe like all electronics would be shut down. Now, there's some research out there. There have been other articles out there that talk about that not all electronics would go down. But nevertheless, if you are someone who travels, if you are someone who's, uh, you know, a good distance from home for any amount of time, then, you know, this tends to uh, be part of the way that you think is like, what would happen if this happened while I was away from home and uh, this far away, you know? And so that's where this uh, article was coming from. The, the author or uh, the person who wrote it uh was doing uh, a long distance trip and then started thinking about this and so i think it's good to uh, imagine to think it, i think it helps your preparedness in a lot of other ways as well because you can add to it uh you know regardless of emp or whatever preparedness is going to be preparedness and so if you can prepare for the big things you definitely can be prepared for the small things And uh, so there's a lot here, even if you're not preparing for the EMP or solar flare, things to consider and things to maybe apply in your preparedness. So let's go ahead and start reading on this one. I recently had to travel approximately 900 miles by vehicle due to a family emergency. I was gone for 10 days. The drive was easy and uneventful, it covered hundreds of miles of open rural terrain. But I also traveled through two massive urban metroplexes in multiple intermediate-sized cities. That trip got me to thinking about what if I'd faced if the EMP or solar flare hit while I was that far away from home. I spent the better part of 13 hours each way observing the terrain and thinking about what I would do if it happened. Where would I stay? How much gear would I carry? What route would I take home? Where would I obtain my sustenance? You see, these are contingencies that you cannot plan for, because you are unfamiliar with the terrain. Also, you cannot carry enough food for a minimum of a six to eight week walk. So, imagine the lack of communication, the lack of transportation, the daily grind, or having enough food and water. Then think about moving through towns where the populations are paranoid or lacking in supplies the desperation of the people who are in the same situation that you are in and the stress of being in unfamiliar territory. This is truly the nightmare scenario. You have prepped, trained and educated yourself and your loved ones on what to do in case this happens and now you are 900 miles away from your home and away from your supplies. Most frighteningly you are alone. What do you do? First and foremost, as I have always said, pre-planning is your best defense. Make sure your family is secure and able to function for a significant amount of time without you. When you don't have to worry about the home front, you can travel with a peace of mind. You can focus on the task at hand. Morale in this scenario is your greatest ally or your worst enemy. Fear can paralyze you and cause you to make irrational and desperate decisions. Pre-planning can go a long way to alleviating fear. The time of the year will dictate what you pack and how you handle your trip. Fortunately, I live in the southeastern United States, so the weather, while it does get somewhat cold in certain parts, remains mild for most of the year. Summers can be hot, but heat is manageable. However, cold is punishing and can kill. It kills without remorse. If you live in the northern parts of the U.S., it is imperative that you pack appropriately. Before I left for my trip, I queried on an internet mapping site the quickest route home by walking. It carried me through multiple cities and towns, but also through miles of rural and wilderness areas. So here's the scenario. You're in a large urban metroplex in the United States and a significant distance from home, in excess of 800 miles. And you have been staying with relatives Attending to personal family matters. After attending to your affairs, you pack your car, say your goodbyes, and you depart. It is Friday morning, beginning a summer holiday weekend, and the traffic is heavy. You are hoping to get home in under 13 hours so you can have a nice weekend with your family back home. You have planned your route and have a good idea where you'll stop to fill up. Your expectation is for an uneventful trip. After about an hour and a half of stop and go traffic, You have covered about 50 miles when your car goes dead. You notice that almost all the vehicles on the road are slowing significantly and then stopping. You observe several wrecks occurring in front of you. Having educated yourself on the signs of a solar flare and EMP, you recognize it quickly and are able to get your vehicle to the shoulder of the road. At this point, you realize that home is over 850 miles away and your options are limited. What do you do? It goes without saying that you have packed a get-home bag. This get-home bag should be much more thorough and significantly larger than one you would carry to return from your normal place of business. This is the first thing you need to ensure that you load into your vehicle. I will outline the contents of my bag later on. For most, leaving your vehicle on the side of a highway 800 plus miles from home is not an easy sell. Vehicles are expensive, as is towing and storage. In today's modern world, your vehicle is your lifeline. However, you must make your decision based on your training, education, and best interest. Next, should you return back to the extended family or set off for your home? Choose wisely and soberly because this will be the most difficult and life-changing decision that you'll make. While the family members I stayed with are good people, they are not preppers. They live in a massive metroplex and they are not prepared to for me to stay for any significant time besides i have dependents at home who need me so aside from a short-term stay with my extended family i needed to have plans in place to get home in my humble opinion to walk back 50 miles is not worth it there is little gain in it and to walk back into the storm of a massive metroplex is extremely risky at best the decision to trek forward and homeward is made So I was in South Florida and I got to thinking that a possible boat trip across the Gulf of Mexico to a destination in the panhandle of Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, or Louisiana would save weeks of walking. Miami to Pensacola is 675 miles. However, a boat trip has its own perils. First and foremost, you have to be lucky enough to find someone who is sailing out at the right time and right place. Second, they have to be willing to take you along trust cost and space considerations third how good are their sailing skills what are their real abilities the final concern is can you trust the people with whom you are sailing why are they willing to help you the last thing you need is to wake up one morning and all guns are pointed in your direction also there are hurricanes tropical storms rough seas and in a tiawaki scenario the possibility of pirates exists. This is a very viable option, but it will cost you. You cannot show up with an award-winning smile and empty pockets and expect to be accommodated. This is where learned skills and abilities will prove very useful. Bartable skills are invaluable. Brush up on your knot tying. Cash in the situation can be useful. It is in, in the beginning of Teotihuacan. Whiskey and cigarettes can also be useful bargaining items. Regardless, you will still be walking at the end of the day because once you land, you still have many miles overland to cover. Also, the ability to desalinate water would be highly beneficial. Moving up and down rivers can be very helpful, but this is unique to your locale. If you have some type of a bicycle, this would be ideal. The amount of time you'd save would be monumental. If this is your situation, ensure that you have the proper equipment for your bike including flat tire repair, bicycle pumps, and panniers for equipment and gear. The collapsible Monteague Paratrooper mountain bike is a good example of an appropriate bike that could fit in the back of your car. So I checked out that bike. Um, it is it's about $900 uh, and uh, it does break down pretty small and uh, it looks like a, a decent little bike there. It has good reviews. Um, But, you know, it is nine hundred dollars, but you would want something uh, that would be reliable in this situation. So, um, you know, if you are someone who is traveling, I know that we've talked about this before, but if you travel on a regular basis, um, it might be And if you own a truck, it might be uh, reasonable to throw uh, a bike in the back, you know, and maybe you take the tires off or whatever, and uh, you chain it up real good, or I don't know, uh, maybe you do buy one that you can break down, Uh, but uh, that might be something that you need to look into. All right, so uh, continuing on, cycling as a hobby. Keep up cycling as a hobby. If you don't, and you cycle for a long time in one day, your next day might be a rough one. One drawback to cycling is that you lose situational awareness. If you fail to keep your attention focused on the threats around, you can be easily ambushed. Be mindful of the threats around you if this is the way you are going home. Recently speaking to a friend of mine who works in the southwestern desert of the United States, he says you can hear bicycles at night really well, so daytime travel with a bike, according to him, would be safer. During the day, you can see the ambush coming better. What does it take to string a cable line across a road and wait for a bike to come? When the bike is close enough, they pull taut on the cable and take out the cyclist. This is just food for thought. While walking is the most time consuming and the most physical, taxing and stressful, it might be your only option. Your physical fitness will be put to the ultimate test. Every skill you develop now will significantly reduce your hardships on the road if walking is your only option. Your feet here are your primary concern. You must ensure that they stay healthy. And so, guys, that's one one of the reasons why you want to have multiple socks, change your socks. You want to have, uh, you know, uh, wicking socks uh, along those lines as well, uh, just because uh, that will keep your feet safe. All right, so another little portion here before this article ends, um, talking about maps, I mapped out a walking route to get home before I left on my trip and printed maps and directions. I studied a list of towns along the way home that I would have to walk through if necessary. The town data included information on the size, crime rates, demographics, major waterways in them, and major roads through them. Due to the uniqueness of my trip, I paid particular attention to the coastal route to ensure that I could attempt to make a waterborne trip if possible these are all things that you need to consider. All right, so this is part one, and uh, there is a part two and part three that we will definitely get to um, later on, maybe next week. But uh, good information here, things to consider. Um, Always, you know, it's just you get your mind thinking and processing. And so uh, I appreciate articles like this. Um, you know, some people will will say, you know, EMP, solar flare, you shouldn't even be thinking about those worrying about those. But they do allow you to think about a world without uh, or being off the grid, right? And then what would it take uh, to maneuver in a situation like that? What would it take to travel? What would it take to get home? And so, uh, you know, these are valuable um, in a lot of respects. So I hope you think they're valuable as well. Guys, that's over at survivalblog.com, and like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. All right, our next article comes to us from askaprepper.com, and this article is entitled 10 Advantages of Using Cast-Iron Cookware When SHTF. Now, cast-iron cookware, there's just a lot of advantage advantages to it, regardless if it's SHTF or not, and so uh, there's a, a lot of good info here, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. Cast iron is one of the best types of cookware to use in everyday life. Even better, cast iron is a great cookware option to go for in an SHTF scenario. Cast iron is not the lightest, but it's sure worth it to bring. To survive, you're going to need some way to cook. Having a cast iron pan gives you the ability to cook food and has much versatility as you will soon see. If you have ever used cast iron, you will know just how strong it is. It is very heavy duty, which does make it heavy, but it is worth it. You will not have to worry about it breaking on your journey or breaking during cooking. These pans do not even chip. The temperatures they can withstand is high, as well, making it perfect for direct flame on a campfire. Other pans cannot withstand such heat. A cast iron can, safely, without burning the cure off, get to about 450 to 500 degrees Fahrenheit the temperature can go even higher without the cast iron being damaged except that the cure will burn off. Food tends to taste better in a skillet. This may seem superficial in a doomsday scenario, but it's not. Good tasting food when in a bad situation is something that is actually very useful to boost spirits. If just by having better tasting food can push you to the next day, it is worth it. The reasoning behind the better taste is thought to be the even distribution of heat when cooking. If bringing a cast iron pan when you are in an SHTF scenario is the only pan you bring, it is not a bad thing. Cast iron pans are normally deep enough to cook whatever you like. You could also choose to bring a Dutch oven with you instead. They are heavier, but are more like a pot giving you the ability to make soups or stews. Whatever you choose, both are great for cooking whatever you desire. Another magical trait of cast iron is its health benefits. With cast iron, you do not need to put oil on your pans if seasoned properly to begin with. This is one of the best characteristics about cast iron because then you won't have to have or pack any oil with you for the pan, making it healthier for you as you will not have to consume a lot of butter. Cast iron is also healthier than nonstick pans. The nonstick teflon is not good at all, It releases harmful chemicals, and if you breathe them in, can give you flu-like symptoms. Why take the risk, even if you are not in an SHTF scenario? To tie in with the health benefits, cast iron is a great source of iron. The body needs iron, and in a doomsday scenario, you might not have access to foods. Iron is in foods like shellfish, spinach, liver, and pumpkin seeds. Most likely you would not have access to these foods and you certainly won't be able to pick them up at a supermarket. Lack of iron would then lead you to getting iron deficiency anemia. Iron is really important for women girls and pregnant women as well. It may seem ridiculous but cast iron pans make great weapons. They are really heavy duty and could you imagine getting hit by one of those in the head. You probably will run out of ammo if you have any at all so you have to get creative with weapons to defend yourself all right so that's a little bit of a stretch there but uh you know you have seen those uh western movies where they tie uh, cast iron you know or steel plates to them you know in, underneath their uh their ponchos or whatever and, and that saves them from from dying uh, that's what i was kind of thinking about there all right um cast iron lasts forever This is what is great about them. The durability allows for you to never have to worry about breakage or it going bad. It would probably outlast any SHTF scenario. Another benefit of cast iron is their inexpensiveness. This also very much depends on where you get them from. If you go through online or in-store, the lowest cost to get them at is around $20. Sometimes they can go for even more money. The best place to get them is through yard sales, flea markets, and antique stores. You can normally get them for a couple of bucks. Their use also makes them inexpensive in that they require little fuel. Whether you are in the woods or in your home, when a bad situation is happening, conserving fuel is important. Cast iron is good with this as once you get the pans hot, they hold on to the heat. Okay. And I just want to say, I have gone into like a resale shops and, and stuff like that. And I have never found a cast iron, uh, uh, pan or whatever, you know, to save my life. Uh, I'm always, you know, I always see those, uh, posts that people like, Hey, I found this for, you know, five bucks and it's just a great Dutch oven and stuff. Uh, but I, w- I will tell you one day I was at Walmart and uh, I was cutting through the kitchen area and they had this humongous cast iron uh skillet and uh, i want to say like 18 20 inches i mean it was it was pretty big and uh, i was like whoa i'd never seen that one before and so uh it it was the only one that was there and uh, i didn't see any kind of price whatsoever so i went ahead and picked it up and took it to the counter to go ahead and pay for the items that i had and i wanted them to check the price and it was a ridiculously low price and so somehow i think maybe because that was the only one there uh, it was purchased somewhere else and they uh, returned it at that walmart and uh, they either put the wrong price or they uh, for whatever reason where it was coming from was a different price and i just really really lucked out on that one but uh, you know if uh, if you have another great source for finding cast iron let me know i know that there's some people you know uh like brian on our on our facebook group he's always finding awesome deals uh at resale shops and i'm like man how do you find these things i never find anything like that it's always junk when i go there but anyway there's there's always those places and maybe like in a big place like houston You're not going to find good deals. Maybe you need to go to smaller towns or whatever. But uh, you know, there's people that are always getting rid of stuff. Uh, You think about like you know a family who maybe they had a a father passed away and maybe he had a lot of old items and they they don't know what they have. You know, Um, they don't realize the significance of some of the even the the kitchenware and they're like ah we don't want this. This is just junk. So they go and they take it to a resale shop and then you find all this this treasure stuff like, you know, uh, cast iron and, and prepping supplies and camping supplies and all these cool things that, uh, you know, that just wind up showing up. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you should hit them every once in a while you might luck out and and find something really good. Uh, I'm still waiting for that one great purchase that I can come back and say, man, I found this one for five bucks. And so I can put a picture of it up on the Facebook group so I can show everyone like Brian always does. All right. So, (laughs) all right. So cleaning these pans is so easy. You should never wash cast iron pans if you can avoid it. Washing the pan removes the seasoning or the nonstick, making one of its best qualities obsolete. To clean, simply scrape off any residue. If it has a good seasoning, the food should not stick on it. As mentioned earlier, cast iron holds heat extremely well. This is easily done by heating the pan as you would any other. Then once you get the pan going, you can reduce the temperature you're cooking at or take off the fire. Then the pan can continue cooking the food as the pan stays hot for a while. This works really well with the Dutch cast iron ovens. Seasoning the pan is important to do as it is what keeps the cast iron pan non-stick. It is something that should be done before an SHTF scenario as well so that you are fully prepared when you need to go. To do so, you first need to wash the pan. Then dry the pan very good so there is no moisture. Then apply an oil such as vegetable oil or shortening that is melted. Put it in your oven at a temperature of 375 degrees Fahrenheit and leave the pan in for an hour. Shut off the oven and leave it in there till it cools. Even with the weight of the cast iron, it is totally worth it to carry with you. Having something to cook on is a necessity if you want a more long-term survival plan. Also, whatever your destination is, to be in a survival situation, there is no reason you couldn't leave the cast iron there. That way, you would not have to carry it on your journey. Whatever the path you take or whatever decision you make, choose a cast iron pan. All right, guys, there's about 42 comments here in you know, Ask a Prepper. There's a, a decent little community and uh, people just leaving information uh, on uh, cast iron and their ideas about it. You know, some people were saying, I, if you get a Dutch oven, get the ones with the, the feet on there and not the ones that just lay flat on the ground. Uh, but, you know, they're pretty cool because you can stack them and you can uh, share the heat that way when you when you purchase dutch ovens uh in in that uh, regard someone was saying you know if you purchase a dutch oven uh purchase one with a lip because you do put coals on top of it so that it will uh so you're getting heat from the bottom and the top and so uh, it'll cook a little bit more evenly uh when you're when you're doing something in a dutch oven so guys, that's 10 advantages of using cast iron cookware when SHTF, and that's over at askprepper.com. And uh, like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. There's a couple of links here and always graphics that you might be interested in checking out. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 361. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to the podcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.